Hi, my name is Jillian Fink. I'm CEO and co-founder of Oxaguy. Femtech to me is improving care for women impacted by conditions that solely or predominantly affect women and to better understand the causes and correlations to women's biology. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus Podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and before we start today's episode, I want to thank you all. Thank you, femtech founders that contributed to the Stack the Deck for Femtech campaign. Out of 1,000 femtech startups globally, over 350 of you finished it. Thank you from the bottom of my femme fan heart. We are diligently working on our end-of-year landscape report, and it'll come out soon. If you're not subscribed to our newsletter yet, do so, so you'll know when it comes out. Go to femtechfocus.org and subscribe today. Alrighty, in today's episode, I interview Jillian Fink, the CEO and founder of Oxaglide. Oxaglide is addressing a condition that disproportionately affects females, and that is headaches. Headaches are a leading cause of pain and disability, routinely affecting the well-being and work productivity of more than 45 million Americans each year. Women are twice as likely to have headaches than men, and even worse, 85% of migraine patients are women. Are you surprised when I tell you that research is still missing as to why disproportionately affects females? Of course not. Well, many people suspect it's hormonal fluctuations to blame, but the research is still not done. It needs to be prioritized, funded, and explored. Luckily, we have inventors like Jillian creating medical devices to better treat headaches in the ER. Learn more about Oxaglide at oxaglide.com. That's Oxaglide, O-C-C-I-G-U-I-D-E dot com. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Jillian, welcome to the show. Hi, Brittany. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. I am so excited to have you on the show today. Do you remember how long ago it was that we first met? Yep. <laughs> you do? When was it? Because it started um, from, I feel like, competition. Melodia. <laughs> yeah, was that 2016, 2017? Do you remember? It was uh spring 2016 and then again 2017. Oh yep. my gosh. Yeah. So listeners, uh Jillian and I are founders from Texas and we used to be in pitch competitions up against one another, but you know, um who knows who won, doesn't matter. You have an incredible device that even as uh, a founder myself in the competition was like, that is badass. That's super important. And now fast forward, leading Femtech, realizing headaches and migraines disproportionately affect females. So I'm so excited to have you on the show to tell us a little bit more about your story. Yeah. So uh, we've been working on Oxguide, which looks like that really cool device right there, uh, for about uh, six years now. Um, and we are commercially available um, in emergency rooms. And it's a device that's used to quickly um, and effectively treat headache. And um, as you said, headache affects over 70% of headache patients are women. Um, and it is a huge impact on life, quality of life, and um, just 
ability to work, spend time with family and whatnot. So with Oxaguide, we're able to take care of headache pain without side effects. And um, it's actually been shown to last for about two to two and a half weeks on average. Amazing. I cannot wait to dig into this. Jillian, let's first start with a little bit more about you and your personal story. Uh, You know, where are you from? You know, did you go to school? Like, are you a headache patient? Like what sparked this headache thing? And, uh, you know, how'd you get here? Yeah, so I uh, my background is actually elementary education, um, and I definitely had plenty of headaches working with kids. <laughs> Ready for that joke? <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I um, I did experience migraine episodically as a teenager. Uh, luckily, they got better as I got older. Um, but uh, I was getting my MBA at Rice when this project came to me, um, actually from my husband, who is a neurologist who did a specialty in um, pain management and brain injury. And um, he uses this procedure all the time in his clinic. And when he tried to get other doctors to adopt it, um, he met a lot of resistance. And that was what led him to develop the device, which really guides this procedure um, and I was following the entrepreneurship track while at school and um, shout out to Rice because they have a lot of really great classes that help support uh, development of new companies and whatnot. And I was able to actually build a team at Rice and we kind of worked through some of the initial market research and whatnot. And um, it just looked like a really exciting opportunity that could have a really big impact and help a lot of people. So we we ran with it. And um, there we are a couple years later. I love that. You know, I've heard of several people going to MBA school with an idea in mind and essentially using their MBA as an incubator, right? It's a pretty expensive incubator, but, uh, <laughs> you know, the quality of contributions from professors and classmates, yeah. you find your co-founders, you find your team, like, build out your financial models as your homework for building a financial model, right? Like your, your classwork is your company. So I have heard of that before being successful. So it's really cool. It sounds like that's kind of, you leverage that. I love leveraging things, you know, like how can we, you know, kill two birds, with one stone, we should come up with a better saying than that, but you know, birth two babies with, Oh, no, that's worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never mind, never mind. Uh, we'll have to work on that. But um, uh, so headaches, you know, you were you said that your husband uses a specific kind of procedure to treat headaches that was not really, you know, well adopted or well received by other physicians. What kind of procedure are you talking about? And I remember when I first learned about it, I was like, oh, they do that? <laughs> like, so tell our listeners, what is yeah. a treatment that a patient would receive when you go to the ER with a terrible headache? Yeah. So most headaches today are treated with drugs. Um, yeah, you know, Historically, it's been opioids. Um, thankfully, those numbers are coming down, but we're not at zero yet, which is where we should be because there's really very, 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 very few times when opioids are an effective or appropriate treatment for headache. Um, but so then they get Benadryl, other IV medications that knock you out um, as a treatment for acute headache. And then if it's looking at more prophylactic uh, medications, they still have a lot of side effects. Um, many of them are effective, but you still get breakthrough patients with breakthrough headaches um, who are showing up at the ER or looking for care elsewhere. And so how are they treated in the ER? Yeah, so they get multiple rounds oh, of medications. Oh, sorry, without, the, without yeah. the drugs. Like what is um, your device help with what? Right. 
So what this uh, procedure is called an occipital nerve block, and it targets the nerves that run along the back of the head. So no matter where the headache is coming from or what's causing it, um, in order to feel pain on the head, it needs to travel through these nerves. And the device basically identifies the location of the nerves. Um, cadaver studies have shown that there's a proportional distribution between the nerves and the bony landmarks. So it adjusts to the bony landmarks along the head, and then these little ports will line up over the nerves, and our providers just inject lidocaine, so numbing medication. And it basically turns off the pain signal, and it's been shown to have that prolonged benefit as well to stop that pain signal from coming back. So cool. So what I'm hearing you saying is that, and this is also for the listeners who are listening and not watching on YouTube, all those videos on YouTube, it's kind of like this like backwards sunglasses that go on your ears, but behind your head and instead of the front, it's a band. And then you have these like two little loops that kind of come down. You said uh, bony bony features, like is yeah. that like the bottom of the back of your skull? Yeah. So if you go right at the middle of your neck, to your head, you'll kind of feel that protuberance there. It's the occipital protuberance, that big bone. And then right behind your ear is the mastoid process. Mm. So if you kind of draw a line from the occipital protuberance to those two points, you get an upside down V. And the nerves lie along those lines. Oh, and then so they just take a needle and inject some lidocaine to that nerve and that will stop your headache essentially like a like a cavity numbing. And it works on all headache types, uh, again, regardless of the cause and without any side effects. So no drowsiness, no nausea, no side effects. Wow. What else are you numbing in that? You know, is there other is there other sensations we should be feeling in our head that are going to be numbed by this procedure? So it's I've never heard that be an issue. I would say um, if you kind of sometimes to see whether or not it works, they'll have patients just kind of touch the back of their head and almost feel like they're wearing a helmet. Just that outer layer will be numb. It's not nearly as uncomfortable as getting Novocaine and having your mouth being numb. Yeah, that's what I guess I was asking. Yeah, Yeah, it's not like that. And the truth is, is that like Novocaine, that wears off, that sensation does wear off after a couple of hours, uh, but you still have the pain relief. So, and the nice thing about the head is that you have a really thick bone there in your skull, so you really can't go too deep. So you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> we don't have to worry about like numbing the part of your brain that remembers <laughs> your name and stuff. Good. Exactly. Excellent. I'm glad. <laughs> um I'd love to talk a little bit more about the biology of headaches because you were talking about like regardless of where it is in the head or what's causing it. And so I want to talk about like, what do you mean that there's headaches in specific locations? I guess I do understand that. Thank God I'm not someone who gets a lot of headaches, the knock on wood. But I guess I do know like sometimes it feels like it's behind the eyes or sometimes it's all over the head. So just kind of walk us through what are the different types of headaches? What causes them? And if it makes sense, what's the difference between a migraine and a headache, or is it all the same? I don't know. (laughs) So migraine is a subcategory of headache. Um, So headache is just a really broad term that means, I guess, any pain in the head. And then you have migraine headache. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, And then I'll I'll leave migraine for last because that's probably the most relevant um, and then also the most complicated. You have tension headaches, which really just come from tension in your neck and your shoulders. And then, you know, if you ever have a sore neck and then your head starts to hurt or whatnot. Um, And then you have cluster headaches, which is actually a chemical reaction, flight or fright response that causes pain. And those are usually located on your eyes for whatever reason. Mm. Um, and then you'll have a post-traumatic headache, which you hit your head and it bruises it and that hurts. 
Um, medication overuse headaches are basically your, it's almost withdrawal, and it could be from any type of medication, including abortive medications for headache can often actually lead to a medication. Oh, God, headache. isn't that a kicker? Yeah. <laughs> so it's from using too much. Um, and then there's migraine. And they don't really have a great explanation for what causes migraines. Um, you'll you'll often see kind of over nerves overreacting in the head or having unusual activity, um, or you'll see kind of vascular constricting, um, and those are thought to lead to the pain, but what causes that they're not completely certain about. Um, you'll often hear about people smelling something that gives them a headache or eating or drinking. You know, red wine is very uh, commonly cited as causing headaches. And then there's just, you know, other life factors, stress um, can cause headaches or, you know, if you're sick or something and you get a headache. Is there there's also hormones. Sorry. Oh, hormones. <laughs> yep. Yeah, let's talk about hormones. <laughs> so hormones are definitely related to migraines, um, but really, really has not been studied effectively. In fact, one study said that the um, the discrepancy of how often hormones and menstruation are related to headache can be anywhere between 3% of the population to 76% of the population. That is so. a quite <laughs> giant range. Yeah, exactly. So one uh, study that was done more recently that looked at 11,000 patients, actually, and this was all self-reported, but of that 60% of those patients said that they did have a correlation between their menstruation and their migraines. Um, so I would say that it is quite prevalent. And as I said before, you know, greater than 70% of headache patients are women. And unfortunately, the ones who report a correlation between menstruation and their headache show that the severity of the headache is actually higher and more debilitating than um, those who just cite kind of more random migraine days. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is there is no definitive study showing the link between hormones and headaches and migraines, but there's enough women out there saying that they experience that. And so it seems likely. Did you find any information about menopause? Like do migraines or headaches increase or decrease during that phase? Yeah. So it both, <laughs> which again, just shows the connection to <laughs> patients who will have an increase of um, migraine or headache when they go through menopause. And then you have some who used to have, you know, horrible migraines and they just stop when they go through menopause. Um, I saw a really, really crazy statistic, statistic just recently um, that said that 88% of reproductive women in the reproductive age are affected by headache. So it's wow. just, and those are really the years that the impact is the greatest. Mm -hmm. And it's um, actually the number one leading cause of disability for people 50 and younger because of the prevalence during those reproductive years. For wow. Wow. I'm just yeah. thinking about all of those like jokes about like women not wanting sex because they have a headache, you know, <laughs> using it as a like, quote unquote excuse. But like literally, literally. 88% of these head case, headache cases are female. So, yeah. you know, and uh, kind of a basic biology question, but is the pain actually in the brain or is it on the muscle and nerves that are outside of the skull? I'm going to, uh, okay, not a doctor, I'm going to just throw this <laughs> out there, but I'm going to go with, because it, by numbing these nerves that run above the skull, you're able to to kind of take care of that pain. I'm going to say that 
at least the sensation of pain is from those nerves. You know, everything comes from the brainstem and then gets dispersed from the body, from the brain. So I, I'm not, can't get too much into the science. Yeah, no worries. That is just something I always thought about where I was like, is it my <laughs> actual brain throbbing or like, is that just how it feels? Cause I don't really feel things in there. Um, uh, so, you know, there's still no, def- just to clarify, there's no yeah. definitive evidence as to why females have more headaches. Than no, men. There's no reason. There's another, there's some theories that it could be, um, you know, looking at headaches that come on during menstruation periods. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be that change in hormone that causes the headache um, or, and that's why for some people actually just birth control alone, going on birth control and having less of a fluctuation of hormones um, can help to prevent headaches. And then there are other people that that doesn't work for. And then you also have women who become pregnant. So oftentimes you'll have women who had a high prevalence of migraine and it will get better when they're pregnant. And then again, you have all the, a lot of women who never experienced migraine and then they become pregnant and, or postpartum. So actually 39% of pregnant and postpartum women experience headache. And that's a really interesting patient population because most of the medications out there you can't use for pregnant women and you can't even take if you are trying to become pregnant. So that causes a lot of complication. Yeah. It causes years of headaches that you don't have yeah. access to medication for. Can yeah. you have lidocaine injected in those nerves if you're pregnant? Yes, you can. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Yay. You're innovating. And again, no side effects. So. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, lidocaine is considered to be really, really um, benign, especially in the the um, dosages that you're using. And also because of where you're injecting, it's very localized. Um, you can always have some systematic uptake, but it would be very, very little. Yeah. Wow. This is so fascinating. Um, you know, people who have headaches on average, like how many are they having? Like what causes someone to go to the ER with the headache versus taking an aspirin? Yes. So I would say pain severity. Um, and then there are also a lot of other symptoms that go along with that. So you have um, you know, some patients experience aura, which is where they can kind of lose vision almost in one of their eyes, um, which I, I actually have experienced once when I was pregnant. <laughs> I had never had that experience before, but I was pregnant and I just distinctly remember the experience because it was so uncomfortable. And then I was actually in um, in a store and it was almost, you know, when you look at the sun and then you can't see afterwards, yep, and yep. it kind of blinds you. And all of a sudden I'm looking around and I thought that maybe the sun had reflected off of the window or something because I just couldn't see properly and ended up leaving the store. And by the time I got to my car, I had this horrible, horrible headache. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah. And I was diagnosed, my my doctor prescribed me opioids <gasps> while I was pregnant because there's nothing else that they could give me. And luckily it didn't happen again. I didn't actually take the opioids, but that was just common practice at the time. And, yeah. um, you know, just standard. It was crazy. Well, crazy. now you just ask your husband to inject some <laughs> in the back of yep. your head. <laughs> that makes not a joke. We've had people at our house just kind of hanging out and they get a hormetic and like, can you just inject me with that thing? And <laughs> 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 turns into a treatment area. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, so so there's aura, which is a little bit crazy, and then um, just nausea, you know, sensitivity to light and whatnot, and then also, I would say how long it lasts. Um, you can you have stories of patients where the headache lasts, you know, four or five, six days, and if the pain is just not breaking, they might come to the ER. Yeah, one of the things that we find is that um, 
whether it be biology, society, whatever, culture, that uh, males are more likely to, you know, raise their hand and say, I'm so sick, I'm going to die, right? Whereas yeah. females more often are like putting their family first, putting other the community first, other responsibilities. And it's got to be really bad for her to take herself to a physician. And so the fact that, you know, you said, what's the percentage of ER patients that are women? Uh, so it's over 70% of those headache patients in the ER are still women. And there's one, um, again, that survey that was 11,000 patients, it was 38% of those patients reported an ER visit. And of that 38%, 23% reported actually staying overnight. Oh, really wow. Because you talk to ER doctors and they'll tell you that they don't admit any of their headache patients ever. <laughs> so, not sure where those patients are coming from, but there they are. <laughs> wow. <laughs> crazy. How, you know, does headache affect a woman's life? You know, what, why would it be important for us to really solve this issue or figure out like, Hey, is this correlated with your, you know, menstrual cycle? So, you know, um, I don't know. Also, I guess, is there preventative measures, but first tell me, you know, how do headaches affect a woman's life? Yeah. So I would say, you know, in most studies, and there are a number of them, over 80% of migraine patients, and this is not chronic migraine, which is greater than, you know, 15 days per month. These are just episodic migraine patients. Mm-hmm. will say that migraine impacts quality of life, time with family, their work and whatnot. So the impact is definitely there and it's really large. And then you also have 80, over 80% that will say that it actually impacts their sleep and it leads to stress and anxiety and depression, which causes more headache. And then you get again into these kind of really bad cycles. Um, greater than 50% of patients in those reproductive years, they actually won't take the prophylactic medications because they say the side effects of those medications impact school and work as well. So it's kind of, you know, trading one problem for another. And then, um, you know, headache is responsible for 113 billion, uh, 113 million lost work days and, um, $13 billion in lost productivity. So if greater than 70% of your headache patients are women, then the vast majority of those missed work days and lost productivity are all impacting women. Um, and then, you know, you look at it and you say those patients who report headache related to the menstruation period have more severe symptoms. So then all of those, you know, negative impacts on life and whatnot are even more severe for those patients that have um, that hormone correlation. I I just wonder, you know, how much of the salary gap that we see and the like yeah. management and promotional <laughs> gap that we see in yeah. leadership of companies, you know, we so often say, oh, well, pregnancy and having a baby takes her out of the game. And when she comes back, it's harder. I wonder, though, what proportion like are we just attributing to pregnancy but it's actually endometriosis it's actually headaches it's actually you know cysts on their ovaries or whatever you know that those are those you know two three days a month they're taking off adding yeah. up right yeah. you, and you're not, in you're your not head. there you know you're more likely to get overlooked for promotion or considered to be not reliable yeah. and then headache is really challenging because you know a lot of people who don't experience headache or let's say they have mild headaches which would probably be, you know, most men have experienced a headache at one point in their life, but it's mild. They take an Advil and it goes away. Then you have a woman who is not coming to work because of a headache. And they look at that, men or women, and they say, 
you know, well, is that really a valid reason not to come to work? And you have a lot of people who actually not say that headache is the reason that they're not coming in because of that, you know, feeling that people just don't understand. Yeah. Like you're weak. Like it's just a headache. Take an Advil. We all get headaches. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I even, I remember back in the day I was talking to one, um, one investor um, and, and he just couldn't understand. He was like, Oh, people go to the ER for headache and what do they do for them? I was like, well, they give them IV medications. You mean, it's like, you mean they give them a Tylenol? They send them home? <laughs> it was just oh I could not comprehend why somebody would go to the emergency for headache. Apparently, I said, it's just, it's a woman's health issue. And he was like, okay. Wow. <laughs> but people yeah. just, they don't get it. No. Wow. Wow. This is so fascinating. Uh, do you have any other uh, tidbits on headaches or migraines you like to tell our audience before I la- ask our last two questions? Uh, so I just, you know... I, I've kind of spoken about the impact on women, um, but just so people get a sense, we're not talking about a small portion of the population. Um, there are as many as 56 million Americans who suffer headache. Um, again, overwhelming majority of those are women, but it, it's just so prevalent. Um, 3 billion people worldwide and 2.1 billion of that are women. Um, and then 28 million Americans that suffer chronic migraines. So that's, you know, again, more than 15 headache days per month. So Holy that's moly. just completely debilitating. Can you so, imagine yeah. having a debilitating headache every other day? Like, <laughs> especially in the Zoom world where we're all like looking at screens all the time. Oh my gosh. I like yeah. can't even. Um, and then also, you know, there's a very few, there are very few headache specialists. Um, there's, and they are really you know, they'll be in major metropolitan areas. You'll be able to find headache specialists. But if you get out to more rural areas, it's just barren and there's nobody to treat these patients. And um, unlike some other diseases or illnesses or whatnot, the prevalence is really incredibly consistent among socioeconomic classes, races, and ethnicities. It's just, you know, headache is a global problem and the impacts are just huge. You know, as an innovator in the space, I'm sure that you're looking for like competitors or partners or other rising solutions. Do you see a movement for trying to address this issue or do you so see it as? There are know? definitely more and more people talking about headache. You know, you had um, Allergan when Botox became uh, a, a useful tool for headache. Um, you know, there's a lot of more money being spent on research for headache medications. I think because the market is just so big Um but I, whether or not, I haven't really seen a lot of people looking specifically at that kind of relationship to hormones and um, kind of the impact specifically on women. But you'll notice whenever you see headache commercials, the majority of patients in them are all women. You know, I actually now I'm thinking, I think Serena Williams was in one, a yeah. Kardashian sister was in one. You're yeah. so right. Wow. Uh, do you see any movement in terms of like prevention or tracking of headaches to, for people to help figure them out, like when they happen? Yeah, so they have headache diaries out there and whatnot. Um, and there are definitely those lifestyle components, such as, you know, red wine, sleep, um, and all that. But, you know, change, make, lifestyle changes are always very hard to implement and then maintain. Um, and then, unfortunately, right now, a lot of the preventative medications that are out there are ones, again, that you can't take while you're pregnant or even trying to get pregnant. And one of them, I think you have to be off for six months before you're trying to get pregnant. So they just, wow. they yeah. do come with a lot of side effects. Yeah. Wow. 
Well, this has been an incredible conversation. I have two last quick questions that our listeners love. The first one is someone wanted to start a femtech company. What's an area in women's health and wellness that you think still needs innovating? Okay, so I'm going to um, be a little vague on this one. <laughs> I would say that, you know, in all areas of healthcare and femtech and everything, it's it's there are so many needs out there and there are just so many holes and then so many areas of care that are just archaic and have not been updated in decades that if you know of a problem or you see an area that, that you can improve upon, that is what you should work on because everybody has their their silos and their areas of expertise and kind of their their appreciation of, of problems and and challenges that I, I couldn't even begin to guess <laughs> how many possibilities there are. So anything you want, we probably need it. <laughs> yes. Please build it. Yes. Uh, and our last question is, what do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now in order to be successful? Yes. Yeah, so um, partnerships, I would say. Is kind Ooh, of the I love that answer. That's a new one. Tell me yeah, more. No, what do partnerships mean? Yes. And, you know, just, well, I know that, I don't know, you are working a lot in the data space, um, which will definitely be helpful just having comparative data out there and knowing who else is working in areas that you're working on. Um, but also, you know, Clinical data in, in healthcare is so important and finding the right people to partner with for trials or to partner with to get just patient feedback from would be is so important. And then, um, you know, so much of, of the startup world and getting new ideas out there is, you know, based on relationships. Um, so just finding those people in those companies and figure out what they're looking for and, you know, how to get the right message across to them and what kind of information they need and just people to partner with and to really mentor and, and, you know, help get the right information out there. Yeah. I love that. Um, thank you so much for all the hard work you do. It's been a beautiful journey to watch you for <laughs> the last gosh, four, five, six years. Um, so cool. Uh, I'm, I'm, just so excited to see your product from idea to being in the clinic. That's incredible. And hopefully we have some really smart people that are listening to this episode that are going to hopefully dedicate their life to looking at the difference or the correlation between hormones and headaches because we need to prove that out. And then we need to create therapeutics that are, you know, working accordingly yeah. to that. So Absolutely. thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Okay, fem fans, thank you for listening to my interview with Jillian Fink, the CEO and founder of Oxiglide. Learn more on oxiglide.com. That's O C C I G U I D E.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Femtech Focus newsletter, join our virtual community, and follow us on social media. Share the show with a friend and continue to advocate for women's health innovation because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.